0: Is Rusty really glad you're here this morning? Are you feeling rested? That's a no, I guess. Hey, that's a no, I'm not. Uh, I I always hate this weekend. I mean, I hate spring forward weekend. Um, I love fall back weekend, but you can't fall back unless you spring forward. And I always say, I'm gonna get that hour of sleep anyway. I'm gonna go to bed an hour earlier, and it just never happens. So, um, maybe you're here like a, a little tired, uh, more tired than normal, but I'm glad you're here because uh, you're right where God wants you to be this morning. I really believe that, and I believe that uh, God this morning has something He wants to do in your life. I believe you're going to encounter God, and uh, my prayer for you is that you will have uh, a heart and a mind to receive what God has for you, because God wants to do something in your life. He wants you to walk out of here a little different than when you walked in. He wants to transform you in some way. Uh, This morning, because God is here, and God is at work, and I was just reminded of that uh, between first and second service. I went back to my office, and I just glanced at my phone there, and I saw a a text, a video, and a text from my younger brother, my baby brother. He and my dad are in Ethiopia right now. They just arrived there a couple days ago to go do a little bit of ministry there, and uh, my brother, the privilege of attending a baptism this morning in Ethiopia of 213 converts to Christianity. From from the Muslim Muslim background believers, uh, two hundred and thirteen baptisms. The video just kind of thrilled my heart, and I'm like God is at work, church, in this world, and God is at work here, and may God be at work in us. This morning, we're continuing our series that's taken us right up to Easter Sunday, called Cross Culture, where one by one we're looking at the seven statements of Jesus from the cross. And so if you've been tracking with us so far, you know now that through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have in the Bible, there are combined seven statements that Jesus utters from the cross. And I really don't believe any of those are by accident. Like every word in here, every single word is here because God has a purpose for it. It's God's revelation to us. And because it's God's revelation, it is entirely relevant to our lives, And so every single one of these words, whether big or small, is relevant to us, and God wants to speak into our lives through it. And so it's not by accident that we have these seven statements that God has preserved for us, because through them, God is wanting to help us understand more of who Jesus is, what the cross means, what it looks like to live a cross-shaped life. So this morning, we're looking at the third statement of Jesus from the cross. Now, normally we talk about the cross in singular, but this morning, we're going to talk about the crosses, because you know there was more than one cross, right? If you read the story carefully, and if you watch the movie, you know that there were actually three crosses, and there were three men that were crucified and died that day. One was Jesus, but there were two others crucified with Him on His left and on His right. So this morning, we're actually going to look at the crosses, the three crosses, two different responses to Jesus, and one promise of Jesus to us in this story. Luke is the only gospel writer that will detail this interaction between the two criminals who die with Jesus and Jesus. Jesus. The other, the other gospels they mention, yeah, there were a couple of others that died with him, but only Luke goes into detail in this interaction. Maybe, maybe it's because Luke here, he's trying to illustrate at the end of his gospel something that he alone of all the gospel writers had had shared at the beginning of his gospel, because Luke, more than any of the other gospel writers, goes into detail in the birth story of Jesus. That's where we get, you know, the angels and the shepherds. And and then Luke Luke records in chapter 1, on the eighth day, Jesus was taken by his parents as was custom into the temple in Jerusalem to be uh, dedicated. And so he was brought to the temple. He was put into the arms of this old, old priest named Simeon. And Simeon prophesies over this infant, Jesus So it says this, Luke chapter 1, verse 28, Simeon took Jesus into his arms, and he praised God, and he said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, talking about himself, for my eyes have now seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Mary and Joseph marveled at what Simeon said about their baby son. Simeon then said, This child is destined to cause the rising and the falling of many. So he prophesies over this baby like what his, what his life will mean. And what he says is, He is a light of revelation to all, all nations. He is God's salvation, and He will cause the rising and the falling of many. In other words, people are going to respond to this child in two different ways, which will determine their destiny. It will either either be for their rising or their falling. And and so I think what Luke is doing now at the end of his gospel in showing two different responses to Jesus on the cross is illustrating the two different ways people can respond to Jesus. And the fact that... um, Everybody's destiny hinges on how they respond to Jesus. How you respond is the most important decision you will make. Way more important than who you marry. And that's an important one. You know, I've it's kind of become a custom in my home when I write a card to my wife on her birthday or anniversary, I'll just, she kind of knows it's coming and I'll say it to her verbally too, say something like, Erica, you are the second best thing that ever happened to me. Isn't that romantic, guys? You are the second best thing that ever happened to me. Um, marrying you is the second best decision I ever made. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll hear people say, you know, marrying you is the best thing I ever did. Do you believe that? I, mean, I, hope, I hope it was a great decision. You know, but, but there is a more important decision that, that we are uh, called to make And that's with what we do with Jesus. And so sometimes I'll say that statement because I'll I'll, I'll put it on Facebook or I'll say it, you know, in in the hearing of other people, and I'm hoping they take the bait. Second best? Well, what's the first? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) And you know what? People don't normally take the bait, but, you know, I I put it out there just hoping someone might ask the question because the very best decision I've ever made in my life is to put my life into Jesus' hands to trust Him as my Lord and Savior. But we all have a decision to make with Jesus, and Simeon Simeon prophesied that. Luke is illustrating that in this interaction between these two uh, criminals, one who reviles and rejects Jesus, one who repents and receives Him. And so, in Luke's account of the crucifixion of Jesus, we see this progression of rejection by people who are present at the cross, kind of in a diminishing way, people of diminishing status. It begins, first of all, in verse 35, it says, the rulers sneered at Jesus. And then the next verse, verse 36, it says, the Roman soldiers mocked Jesus. And then a few verses later in 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus, and so we see how people respond um, right from the rulers right down to the lowest, rejecting Jesus, who He was, and His work, Um, but this one criminal responds differently. He doesn't revile and reject. He, on the cross, He... Repents and he receives. That's what he does here in this statement. Because this one man famously says in these very short words of Jesus, he says, "Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom." Uh, in his dying breaths, this is what he others, "Jesus, remember me." when you come into your kingdom. And in that one statement, this man is doing three things, and really he's doing the three things that everyone needs to do to receive Jesus Christ and to be saved from their sin and brought into right relationship with God. The first thing he does is he acknowledges Jesus' identity. He's the only guy in the whole story that actually calls Jesus by name. No one else calls him Jesus. He, he looks at him and he says, Jesus, which literally means the Lord saves, the Lord who saves. He had said to the, to the criminal in the sentence before, he had said, don't you fear God? We're getting what we deserve. We're, we're criminals. We're evil men. This man has done nothing wrong. He's innocent. So he, he, he knew, he acknowledged the, the, the divine identity and that Jesus was the Messiah. And he, secondly, he admitted his sin. He said, we are getting what we deserve. I'm getting what I deserve. I'm an evildoer. I deserve death. He admits his sin. And thirdly, he cries out to Jesus for God's mercy. That's what he's doing when he says, remember me. When he says, remember, he's not saying, hey, when you get where you're gonna go, will you think of me from time to time? You know, like Jesus is going, hey, remember that guy to God the Father? I just came back into my, remember that guy? He said that thing on the cross. I wonder whatever happened to him. That's not what he means when he when he says Jesus to Jesus, remember me. He that word, he's using that word the way we will sometimes use it. You know, if you have like a friend or someone and he's like really skilled and like this guy's going to the big time. This guy's gonna be an NHLer. And what do you say? Would you remember me when you get big and rich and powerful? Famous? Would you just like you know, when I'm still stuck at home here, you know, pumping gas or doing whatever, menial life, would you, would you? Like, I hope you don't forget me. I hope you remember me. Like, maybe, maybe you've said that to someone. I don't know. What do we mean when we say that? It's like, hey, when, when when you have power and wealth, would you would you you would 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 you bless me? Would you be favorable to me with with the wealth and the power that you have? That that's what he's saying here. This word remember, we see it over and over again in the scriptures, and it always represents. God placing His blessing and His favor and giving His salvation to those um, who come to Him. And so we see in Numbers chapter 10, verse 9, it says, When you go into the battle in your own land against an enemy who's oppressing you, sound a blast of the trumpets, then you will be remembered by the Lord your God and rescued from your enemies. To be remembered by God means to be rescued from your enemies. Samuel says in Judges 16, Samuel prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. To be remembered by God is to be strengthened by God. First Samuel chapter 1, Hannah, she's a barren woman. She can't have children. It's her greatest sorrow. She comes to the temple. She cries out to God, Lord Almighty, if you only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but, but, but give me a son. I'll, I'll give him back to you for all the days of his life. A few verses later, it says, she went back home. Alcanna, her husband, made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her, which is a way of saying he answered her prayer, and uh, God, with his miraculous power, opened her womb and caused her to conceive and bear, and bear a son, Samuel. He remembered her. The the psalmist says, Psalm 88, "I I, I am set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. To be remembered by God means to be cared for by God. Psalm 106, verse 4, remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people, come to my aid when you save them. To be remembered by God means He comes to your aid, He saves you. And lastly, Luke says at the beginning of his gospel, it's one of the, I can't remember if it's the prayer of Mary, the prayer of Zechariah, I can't quite remember. Luke 1, 54, part of the prayer is, he that is God has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful. To to be remembered by God means to receive the mercy of God. So that's what he's calling for when he says, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Because obviously he is the king. You know, everyone that's, that saw that sign nailed above the cross that the Roman soldiers put there, King of the Jews, it was a mockery, right? They mocked him, King of the Jews. Obviously, this guy had come to a point point of taken that seriously, believing him. You're a king. You have a kingdom. Would you remember me? Would you have mercy on me? So that's what this is. This is, this is a cry of repentance, a cry of belief, a plea for mercy, from a, 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 a dying man to the Son of God. And what does Jesus say? He says, I, I, truly I tell you, this very day, today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, I, I just want you to know, Christian, uh, that, is, that is a comforting, encouraging statement as we're going to see. Those are wonderful words, not just to him, but to us. Very truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Essentially, what I want us to see in that statement and in this story is that no one is ever too lost or too late for Jesus. No one is ever too lost or too late for Jesus. This guy was lost. I mean, morally, spiritually lost. This guy had made a mess of his life. We don't know all the details, but we know he's done something bad enough to get up on a cross, and you only crucified someone if you were a bad hombre, right? In fact, that word criminal there that Luke uses literally means no gooder. Your version might translate it evildoer, okay? Uh, So whoever this guy was, apparently there was no good in his life. He was a no gooder. This guy is, if, if you can paint a profile of a guy who's messed up his life, and is f- as far from God as somebody could be, it would be this guy. He said on the cross, hey, I'm just getting what I deserve. I deserve this horrible punishment. He's the sort of person we would think would never turn to God. Um. Do you do you have like a, a save ability scale or ranking system in your own mind? Like I sometimes do. I catch myself like ranking people. Oh, that guy. He'd never come to Jesus. Oh, that person would never. What's the point? Lost cause. Too messed up. Look at it. Look at his life. There's no way that guy would ever turn. Would never be interested. Oh, that person over there. They seem rather wholesome. I bet. I bet they might be interested. Maybe I should go over there and kind of. Um, You know, share, pray for that person. Do you do that? I find myself doing that. I've got an algorithm in my head. Number of tattoos times number of piercings divided by number of alcoholic beverages consumed per weekend times uh, swear words, F-bombs per day equals percentage possibility that they might ever believe in Jesus, ever turn to Him. I think we all kind of have an algorithm that we use, some sort of scale, or am I the only one? We prejudge people, I think, humanly speaking, and we might just kind of write some people off and say, they are too far gone, they're too lost, they're too broken, or maybe you're someone here who feels like, you are that person, I'm too lost, I've done too much, I've gone too far, I could never be acceptable to God, I could never be made different. The die has been cast for me. If we think that way, um, I mean that just that affects the way that we interact with people. It affects the way we pray. Right? We maybe withhold. Uh, we, we maybe withhold our prayers, or maybe we withhold our relationships, or we re- withhold our, our words sharing about God, or withhold our invitations to come to church because the guy's going to say no anyway. And even if he came, he would think it was lame. What's the point? It's a lost cause. Jesus did not believe in lost causes. If there were any, Jesus loved lost causes, right? I mean, it's, it's in the gospel of Luke that you see the story of Zacchaeus. Remember that wee little man, the wee little man that was he? He climbed up in a sycamore tree because Jesus, he wanted to see. And I forget the rest of the song. But you know the story, Right? He was a bad dude. He exploited the poor. He was a traitor to his people. He worked for the oppressors. He was an outcast in his community. He was a lost cause, but Jesus was coming to town. He's a short guy. He climbs up the tree to get a glance at this Jesus people are talking about. Jesus sees him. Jesus knows everything about his heart, everything about his life, how messed up he is. And, and, and he says the exact opposite about what everyone else said. Everyone else said he's a lost cause, don't bother. Jesus said, I need to come to your house. I need to have supper with you. I need to get to know you. And he did, and it transforms Zacchaeus' life. At the end of that encounter, Jesus said, today salvation has come to this home. And he was a changed man. Jesus didn't believe in something called lost causes. He wore as a badge of honor what people kind of used as an insult towards him, that he was a friend of sinners. He was a friend of tax collectors and prostitutes. Why, did he, why was he a friend of sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes? Is because he knew that they were not too far from the mercy of God. They were not a lost cause. Nobody is beyond the reach of God's mercy. It's no harder for God to save a hardened criminal than a model citizen. You know that? It's no harder. God does some of his best work in the prisons. There is no type of person who believes in Jesus. So we need to get that out of our head. There is no type of person who believes in Jesus. Jesus calls all people to himself. All types of people to Himself. Do we live like that's true? Those of us who do follow Jesus, who have put our life in His hands, do we live as if that's true, as we interact with our neighbors and our coworkers and young people when you're in your schools? Do you live as if that's true? Nobody is outside of the reach of God's mercy. He calls all people to himself. Sometimes I wonder if I'm, if, if, if I'm honest with myself, um, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't live sometimes like I believe that. I become maybe what the Bible might call a blasphemer. You know that other criminal, the first criminal, it says he blasphemed God, that's, that's literally the Greek word there, blaspheme when, he, when uh, that one criminal hurled uh, or insulted Jesus and said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. You know what he wasn't doing? He wasn't shaking his fist at Jesus or giving God the middle finger and cursing God. That's not what he was doing there. He was saying, if you really are, hey, if you're gonna save yourself, you would save me too. If you really are, he didn't, it, it was a slowness to really believe in Jesus. In fact, that word blaspheme, which we normally think means cursing God, um, it's, it's way bigger than that, that word. Blas means to be slow or sluggish. And theme means fame. That's where fame comes from. Recognition. To be slow. To recognize. To be sluggish. To recognize God or what God is doing. So, so, to, so for me to blaspheme might be to look at someone and say, that person would never. That person could never. God wouldn't. That would be to blaspheme God. To be slow. To recognize the way God works. To recognize the power of God. To recognize the heart of God. Nobody is too lost for Jesus. In spite of all this man had done, he turned, and he believed, he repented, he asked for the mercy of God, and Jesus saved him. Today, you will be with me in paradise. You know, God had already made up His mind. God, Jesus didn't have to think about it. Huh. What was your name again? What did you do? You know, God has already made up His mind about you. God has already made up His mind about you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's already made up His mind to receive everybody who turns to Him. To make everyone who turns to Him new. He's already made up His mind about you. Isn't that good? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, that word today, I, I don't think that's so much a reference to like a 24-hour period of time. That Jesus is speaking about the immediacy of salvation. Right? He's saying that in this moment, in this moment, something is changing. In this moment, your relationship with God will change. Your life will change. In this moment, it, it, it's, it's not kind of this long process. It doesn't take days. It's, it's not... This week you will be with me in paradise. This month, it's like today. It's a statement of the immediacy of salvation. What Jesus is saying is no one is too late for me. No one is too late. You know, there's this there's this interesting detail I'd never seen before, and maybe when I've read it, I've thought, huh, that's interesting, because that doesn't seem to jive with what Luke says in his account of the crucifixion. So I don't know if you've noticed this either, and you thought, like, is this an inconsistency? Because Matthew, when he accounts the, the crucifixion of Jesus, Matthew chapter 27, verse 38, Matthew records, he says, two rebels were crucified with Jesus, one on his left and one on his right, so there were three men that were crucified that day, just like Luke had said, and then a few verses later, 44, in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with Jesus also heaped insults on Him. Not one of them did not one of them didn't. There were two that were crucified with Him, and both rebels heaped insults on Him. Well, hold on now. That's not what Luke said. So, what's going on? Well, you know what's happening uh, as, as Luke tells us more of the story, uh, what we find out is when that guy got up on the cross, he was not a believer. He had a hard heart towards God. He had rejected Jesus, just like the other guy. But then something happened. You know, so, so, he got up on that cross reviling Jesus. But then something happened as he was hanging on that cross. What happened? His heart changed mid-cross. It's never too late for Jesus, okay? This guy's heart changes mid-cross. What happened? Well, I, 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 think, I think he heard the words of Jesus. We talked about him last week, right? Verse 34, Luke 23. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. This guy, right beside Jesus, who had, had unspeakably horrible things committed against him, people... Um, mocking him. And Jesus does not call down judgment or vengeance. What does he do? He pronounces forgiveness. That guy had never seen anything like that before. He'd He'd probably seen guys hang on a cross. He'd never seen anyone say those sort of words before. Father, forgive them for they don't know. He heard the words of the radical love and grace and mercy of God, against those who had done unspeakably horrible things to Him, and in that moment, His heart changed. And I think this is kind of telling, right? As Christians, as we want to share our faith with the, the, the around us, um, you know, we, people's hearts aren't changed by like us telling them how bad of sinners they are, what they need to do to shape up. People are changed by, the, by, by encountering the radical love and grace of God expressed in Jesus and, and, and maybe expressed in our lives. That's what gets people's attention. That's what God uses to bring transformation, right? John would say in First John, we love because He first loved us. We love Him because we encountered the love of God through Jesus, His Son, So this criminal, he encounters this mid-cross, and mid-cross, his whole perspective changes, just like that. He goes from a reviler to a repenter, an unbeliever to a believer. It Probably wasn't his first encounter with Jesus. Um, People knew there was this guy named Jesus. They'd heard all the rumors. He'd, he'd He'd probably... sat under a sermon by Jesus. He knew enough about Jesus to be able to say to his fellow criminal who was mocking Jesus, this is an innocent man. He hasn't done anything wrong to be, how could he even say that? Because he knew something about, he he didn't believe in Jesus, but he he knew something about Jesus. He probably had a friend who invited him to the hillside, invited him to the synagogue, like like maybe just like you might invite a friend to come to church. Probably had a friend, hey, you gotta come here, this Jesus guy's doing incredible things, saying some amazing things. Come on, come here, Jesus. All right, I'm not doing anything. He'd probably come, he had heard, he had seen, maybe he'd eaten some of that bread that Jesus had multiplied on the hillside. Ah, Jesus wasn't for him, though. Didn't seem to move him, didn't seem to change him. Until now. Until now. At the very end of his life. Um, You know, I I think what that means for us, Christian, is um, never give up praying for people never give up on people never give up praying for people or sharing with people because you don't know the seeds you plant now you don't know what God will do with those in the future you have no idea when you share your faith when you pray for someone when you invite them to come to church and, and nothing seems to come from that you think it was all a lost cause it ain't gonna happen you don't know that you don't know what God might use with all of those seeds planted, all those words shared, all, all those prayers prayed. Because this man, he had already known something about Jesus, but it was just at this point that God broke into his life and changed his heart. It took time. And I never read studies, I can't remember what it is. Like the, for someone who comes to Jesus Christ, um, it, it's, what is it? Is it like 21? They need 21 encounters 21 conversations like it it it's it, it's it it sometimes takes many different conversations many different many years for the, anything to happen with those seeds that are planted but don't despise what god can do with the prayers and the witness that is planted now in the future for those of you who are like parents of of wayward kids Grandparents of wayward kids, friends or neighbors or coworkers or classmates who seem to be so hardened to God. Don't let that deter you from praying and sharing. Don't let that deter you from inviting. This man on his deathbed essentially um, is changed. And he puts his faith in Jesus. And how does Jesus respond to this criminal's repentance and plea for mercy? Well, it's a little too late for that, bud. How much time do you have left? By my calculation, you've got two hours. You should have thought of that earlier than you did when you actually had time to change time to make it right you know because some people think that they have to make up the distance back to God the distance they left from right and man if you have to make up distance back to God you might just run out of time to do that you might have lived too much life or you might have gone too far and there just isn't a way back as much as you might want there to be there's just too great of a distance but what Jesus is saying here is that's not how it works no one is ever too late for Jesus. And I kind of thought of this picture. I need, I need a volunteer. Ronnie, come on up. This is Ronnie, everybody. Say hi, Ronnie. Hi. <laughs> uh, Ronnie and Andrea and their four kids are a fairly recent part of our church family. Love, love them, having them here. So you're going to be God. So come stand over here, all right? So Ronnie's God, I'm me, I'm you, I'm this guy on the cross, okay, I'm with God, like this is, I was created to be with God, in fellowship with him, I'm living the life, God wants me to live, okay? Here I am with God, but of course, you know, I go my own way, this criminal, he went his own way, you, you've gone your own way, God is there, right? And and I'm leaving God, because sin is going your own way, away from God. So I'm going my own way, you know, my own pride, my own lust, my own anger, my own greed, all of these things without regard for God, um, straying further and further away. And I'm way over here and God's over there. And then I have this moment like on the cross and there's a change. Oh, I have this, I have this, I awaken to my need for God and I turn and he's way over there and I turn to God and now I need to come back. And I need to make up that distance that, I, that was between God and I. I need to get back here to be with Him. What Jesus is saying is that's not what's happening here. That's not how it works with God. Okay, so now I just want you to follow me. I'm just... And tap me on... Keep tapping me on the shoulder. Like, no, not hit. Tap. <laughs> Do you know how to tap? Is that Morse code? Okay. No, I'm just... So I, I'm doing my own life. No regard for God. Living my own thing, right? And I, I, I'm, getting, I'm getting lost further from where I want to be. And then all of a sudden something happens and I wake up to my need for God and I turn to God and he's right here, right? Thank you, Ronnie. You did such a good job. <laughs> round of applause for Ronnie. He may never come back to church again. That might just have been it. Note to self, if, if you never want to be volunteered volunteer on the stage, sit up in the balcony, because it's just too far to call someone down, so that's pretty safe up there. Um, do you see the difference, right? That's why it's never too late for God, because if you think coming to God means turning towards Him and then traveling the distance back, then yeah, I, I guess you might be too far, and it might be too late. But if coming to God, if being saved is, is just turning, and God is right there, we, we do one step and, and Jesus does the other 999, right? That's what the cross means. God did every other step except the one we need, which is to turn to him. And when we turn, he is right there because that's what Paul said in Acts 17, verse 27. You can throw those words up there. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is how far? Not far. How far? Not far. Though he is not far from any of us. Right? He did all of this so that we would seek Him. He would turn to Him. And when we do, we find He's not far. He's right there. He was following us, tapping us on the shoulder the whole time. The other 999 steps, we just need to take the one step. We need to turn to Him. God is never more than one call away. No one is ever too late for Jesus. And that's great news. And that's not just true For those in life, you know, wanting to turn from their sin and and put their trust in Jesus and become a Christian. I I mean, I think that's true in all of our situations because you you might be a follower of Jesus, but you you might be in a messy situation. You might be in a marriage that feels like it's too far gone. It's too late. Or you might have some sort of addiction or you might have some sort of overwhelming, like powerful sin or something and you might feel like it's too late. It's too much. And, And what Jesus is showing here is It's never too late for Jesus. It's never too late to turn because what you don't have to do is do all of that on your own to get back there. All you have to do is turn to Him. He is there ready to to, to do the change. Jesus doesn't just evaluate people. This is what we see in this story. Jesus elevates people. We see this over and over again the gospels he doesn't just evaluate people where they're at he takes people where they're at and then he elevates them right the woman at the well john chapter 4 a woman married and divorced five times now living with a sixth guy because she's given up on this whole thing called marriage she's too jaded she's too broken jesus comes he meets this woman the very first person the very first person jesus opens up his identity to and offers his living water to is to this woman Jesus doesn't just evaluate people. Jesus elevates people. Or that woman caught in adultery, right? That other people wanted to condemn. Jesus says, I don't condemn you. I didn't come to condemn. I came to, to save. I don't condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Jesus doesn't just elevate or evaluate people. He elevates people no matter where you are. You are never too uh, lost or too late for Jesus. That's what we see in this story. And and if, you really, and if you really believe that, that would change the way that you would, for those of us who are already following Jesus, it would change the way we would pray. It would change the way we would relate to the people around us. I think it would. It would give us this great confidence in the um, ability of God, the miraculous ability of God to do anything, to change any life. There's one other thing I want you to see here before we close together, um, Jesus didn't have to say what he said for this guy to be saved. Like, even before Jesus uttered the words, today you will be with me in heaven, in paradise, uh, before he even uttered those words, the guy was saved, right? He didn't need to hear the words of Jesus for that man to be saved. That wasn't a part of it. Already, he uttered those words, That came from his heart in faith to God. So already, right after he uttered those words, he was forgiven. He was with God. He had the gift of eternal life. He was righteous in the sight of God. He didn't need to hear those words of Jesus to be saved, but he needed to hear the words of Jesus to know that he was saved. And see, this is the love of God for us. He doesn't just want to save us. He wants us to know that he has saved us. He doesn't want us going through life in fear and insecurity and worrying, wondering where we might stand at any given moment with God. Because some of us, we're maybe afraid, like, okay, I think I'm in a good place now, but geez, what's going to happen tomorrow? I don't know what's going to happen. What sin am I going to sin? What situation am I going to encounter? Is it going to undo my faith? What's going to happen? And some of us, we worry maybe about where, where, we, where we stand with him. Are, is God with us? Are we with him? Jesus doesn't just want to save this man. This, Jesus wants the man to know that he has been saved, that he has been forgiven. That's why he says, assuredly, I say to you, today, you will be with me. Assuredly. right? Truly. He doesn't want this man to think he might be or that he probably will be. He wants to know that he will be and is with God. So Jesus said, I want you to have assurance. Assuredly, I tell you, you will be with me. So whether whether you're five months from breathing your last breath, five hours, God forbid. Been too many funerals lately. Please, not five hours. Or 50 years, however much time you have left, God wants you to go through life know, having the joy and the peace of knowing that he is with you. That you are that you are in relation right relationship with him. So John, when he wrote his letter, first John 5:13, he says this. I write these things, this is at the end of his whole letter. I write all of these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants us to know that we have, not just to have eternal life, but to have the knowledge that we have eternal life. If my standing with God depends on my own goodness, then there is no knowing. And so many people are going through life, and maybe that's you this morning. You're hoping, cross my fingers. Hope maybe I've I've done enough, good enough. There's so many people going through life kind of depending on I hope I've done enough and there's no knowing in that, is there? Because how do you even know what good is? Everyone's got a slightly different definition of what is good. What is good anyway? Well, we don't have a perfect definition for that. And how good do you have to be? 80%, 50%, better than average? How good do you have to be to be good enough? And even even if you could know what that threshold was, how would I know today where I stand? Like, what's my mark today? Or do I just get my mark when I die? And that's when I found out, oh, it was an 80 and you got a 79. Just, you just fell short. And shoot! I knew I should have helped that old lady put her groceries in her van. Just tipped me right over. No. No there's, no, there's no confidence, there's no peace or assurance in that. Right, But if our relationship with God, if our future depends on Jesus, then we can know. We can know. Paul would say, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. If we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. And if we believe in our heart in Him... We repented of our sins and, and put our faith in Him, we are saved, and we can know that we are right with God. This is the joy and the, the, the peace that God wants you to wake up tomorrow with and the day after. And so, this is what we see in this story. No one is ever too lost or too late for Jesus. And um, He doesn't just want us to be. With him. He wants us to know. He wants us to know that we are with him. And so, as we th- uh, bring this to an end here and leave this place, church, how do we live this out? How do we apply this to our lives? What does it look like to, to obey this word and not just to hear it? Well, for those of us who already follow Jesus, have given our lives to him, and have done what that thief did, um, I think what we're to hear is don't give up on people. Never give up on people. Never give up praying and sharing and encouraging and inviting because you don't know what God might do. Never give up. Scatter your seed everywhere. You know, you know that parable of the sower? The kingdom of God is like the sower who sows seed. He has a big bag of seed and he just throws it everywhere. He doesn't go, uh, that soil is hard and thorny and rocky. Nah, well, there's some good soil. Some good soil. Oh, that's no, that's not good soil. Good soil. He's just scattering seed, right? All types of soil, because we don't know. We don't know what God can do, but we know that no one is beyond the reach of God. So I think what we need to hear as Christians is never give up on people. May we be those who scatter our seed everywhere to all of those around us in our families and neighborhoods and workplaces and schools. And then I guess the other thing I would say, because I don't know everybody in the room and I don't know the condition of your heart, your relationship with God. I wonder if some of you, you need to make today, today. Like when Jesus said, today you will be with me. I wonder if some of you need to make this day your today. Because you know, salvation, turning to God, being reconciled to God happens in a moment It doesn't happen in days or weeks or months or years. It's not a progression. It's not a process. It's a point in time. Just like when you were born, your birth certificate doesn't just have a month on it, does it? Born in May 1981. Born in 1970. It's got a day. On May 19th, 1981, Rustin Arthur Hildebrand was brought into the world, and the world was better for it. Right? right? Any amens? No? Okay. Um, the new birth and relationship with God is no different. Jesus says, you must be born again. That's what happened to this guy. He was born again. When he turned to God, he was made new. That happens, in a, not, not, it's not a process, that happens on a day. It happens in a moment, at a point in time. So, let me ask you, um, you're here, be, you're here for some reason. You're here because you, you must be kind of interested in God. Or maybe someone dragged you here and they said they'd take you out for lunch afterwards. I don't know. But um, do you have that point? Do you have that today in your life where you can say, yeah, on that day, I gave my life in faith to Jesus. I repented of my sins and I believed in Him and I professed Him as my Lord and Savior on that day. Because Jesus says there is a day and if that's not something that you have done or you don't know that you've done, you can make today, today, that day for you. And so, like, if there's anyone here this morning in hearing this, you go, man, I want, I want to receive this new life from God. I want to be with Him. I want His forgiveness. I want this life He gives, this eternal life. You can receive that today, just like that thief, just by not turning and traveling the whole way back, just by turning to God in faith and repentance and you can do that today um, by praying that prayer from your heart as that man did 2,000 years ago. And if that's something that you want to do today, um, if you feel God speaking to you kind of tagging you, don't, don't don't suppress that. That's God calling you. He, he has a new life for you. you need to respond to that you need to come forward and and, and how can you do that Well, the worship team is going to come up now and they're going to lead us in a final song. And if that's something that you want to do, you want to talk about that, you want to, you want to make today that day during the song, um, I invite you or after the song, I invite you to come. I'll be at the front. We can, you can talk with me. We can talk. We can pray. Um, there, there's a prayer team in the fireside room. There's people there that could also have that conversation with you. But don't leave here without making today today if that's something that you need to do. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me? Father God, we are just so incredibly grateful that you took all 999 steps. We knew it was way more than, I don't know the distance from heaven to earth. Lord, but you came all the way because you loved the world you sent your son that all who would would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life and would know that they had that life and could go through life without fear, without worry, uh, but but with joy and peace, knowing they have fellowship with You, knowing that, that You are for them. So, Father, thank You for Your love. I caused You to send Your Son for us so that all we would have to do is just turn to You. Lord, for those of us who have turned to you, um, thank you for that life that we give, Lord, and and that we get to enjoy every day. Would Would you just give us confidence of that as we go about our day, Lord? Whatever we're facing, all the situations, the sins we might find ourselves struggling with, Lord, would you just give us that assurance that you want for us, that we belong to you? And would you just use us, God, as your people in this world, in this community, in these communities, this whole region, Lord, around the world, to... Lord, just to be sowers of seed, to be those who are praying for and sharing with and inviting to, Lord, those around us. Help us not to presume or prejudge how people might respond, Lord, but we believe that you are still at work in the world. You're not just saving people in Ethiopia. You're not just changing lives there. You're doing it here and you want to do it here and you want to do it through us. Lord, through our prayers and our words and our our lives and our invitations. So Lord, would you show us what it would look like for us to go back into our lives and to be those uh, who are not blasphemers, who are not slow to recognize what you are doing, to recognize your power, Lord, but just to scatter that seed. Just show us how we can do that. Um, And Lord, for those in this room that need to make today that day, and just turn their lives to you. I just pray, Lord, that you'd lay that on their heart, impress that on them, Lord, and just, yeah, give them the courage to, to make that decision, to cry out to you, and ask for your mercy and your forgiveness in this life you give, and, um, and to come forward and to share that um, with us. All this we pray in Jesus' name, and together we say, Amen.